At the turn of the century, there was a plethora of prophetic pronouncements. Now, if that didn't turn your head, I don't know what will. As I was contemplating how to begin this sermon, that sentence just seemed to flow from somewhere. It must have been prophetically inspired or not. Uh, Maybe I ought to restate it so everyone will understand what I was saying. When the calendar turned 2000, there were a lot of people claiming to know what the future held. Books on prophecy were being published and revised at an unprecedented rate. Hal Lindsey updated his failed prophecies from the 70s, and new interpreters of biblical prophecy were writing books and making videos as fast as their computers could spit them out. People wanted to know when the world was going to end. Now, I wasn't sure if I was just ignoring it or the end times hysteria had actually cooled, but I hadn't heard much about it lately. So I googled current last days prophecies being fulfilled and came up with over a million results in less than a second. I didn't need to read them all to see there's still a market for biblical prophecy experts. In fact, the first listing was an ad from Prophecy Watchers for the first annual Blessed Hope Prophecy Forum to be held in Oklahoma this October that will feature 33 of America's top Bible prophecy experts. Now, I have to admit, I found the fact that this was to be the first annual conference a bit ironic, since many of the posts proclaim that we are seeing signs of the end times all around us. Yes, being marked by facial recognition technology, the threat of a powerful European army, whatever Trump or the Pope do, climate change proposals and environmental catastrophes, and everything that happens in the Mideast are seen as signs of the end. Well, there's no need for us to examine these claims because I've often noted the confusion that exists between the signs Jesus gave to watch for, signs that would indicate it was time to flee Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and the fact that he said, of that day and hour, speaking of the day of his coming, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. He even explicitly stated, the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. And be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. The only signs of his return that Jesus gave us to watch for are those that will immediately precede his coming. He doesn't want us speculating about when it will happen. He just wants us living as if it could happen today. And so did Peter. 
In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11, he writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak, as it were, the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter says, in effect, when the end's in sight, keep a cool head, a warm heart, an open home, and keep on serving. And that's how we should be living every day, because Jesus could come back at any moment. He doesn't have to wait for anything to happen before he returns. Peter clearly stated that the end of all things is at hand. And he wasn't mistaken. Sure, it's been 2,000 years since he said it. But as he said in his second letter, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So from God's perspective, it's been less than two days since Peter wrote, the end of all things is at hand. So the end's in sight. But we need to keep a cool head. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. When I Googled, see, I'm really cutting edge here. Right, Casey? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, We had a discussion about that this morning. When I Googled how to prepare for the end times, I got over 9 million results. Apparently, there is much more to say about preparing for the end than there are prophetic interpretations about the end. Now, some of the search results did appear in both places and were religious in nature, focusing on the second coming. Others just talked about a coming apocalypse on earth and how to prepare for it. A post from Focus on the Family tied them together by posing an interesting question. What should Christians be doing to get ready for the cataclysmic events preceding the end of the age and the second coming of Christ? Given the current state of affairs in the world, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that the Lord may be returning soon. I'm trying to hold on to my confidence in God and live by faith, but some of my friends and relatives tell me that's not enough. 
They're selling their homes, moving to remote desert or mountain locations, stockpiling food, buying weapons and ammunition. The list goes on and on. Is this right? Are we really supposed to run and hide as things get worse? Or should we stay where we are and continue to minister to the people around us? Well, the answer given by focus on the family was, of course, the second option. Now, that's not to suggest that it might not be wise to prepare for hard times. And we may not all agree on what that preparation should look like. But we must keep a cool head about future events over which we have little or no control. Peter says we are to be of sound judgment and sober spirit. One word refers to our intellectual life, the other to our emotional life. He wants us to think clearly and keep our wits about us. He wants us sane and sober as we contemplate the end. And he wants us praying. Now, the relationship between being sane and sober and praying is open to interpretation. Peter merely uses the conjunction ice, which can mean into, toward, by, with, in order to, and several other things. The New American Standard Version translates it here as for the purpose of. And the NIV paraphrases this to say, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. But Peter may be saying that prayer is the way to stay sane and sober when the end is in sight. If you are into prayer... Talking with God on a regular basis and expressing your trust and confidence in him and his will, you won't worry about the future. You will know that he is in control and you will be able to keep a cool head as you seek his direction on a daily basis, even when the end's in sight. Next, Peter tells us to keep a warm heart. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, there's a tendency to withdraw and get better and even turn on those you love when the end is in sight. We see this happen quite often when someone's health is failing and Death is imminent. Peter says we can't let that happen as we anticipate Christ's return. We've got to remain fervent in our love for one another. And the word fervent actually means to stretch it. We've got to take our love further than it's ever gone before because we don't know how much longer we're going to have to show love to one another. At least not here. We wouldn't want Christ to return while we are harboring bitterness and resentment in our hearts. And we certainly wouldn't want anyone to walk away from a loving Heavenly Father because His children are fighting and bickering. 
we need to keep a warm heart during a time when most people's love is growing cold. And we can do that. If we love as we have been loved by him, we can overlook the slights and shortcomings, even the sins of our brothers and sisters. We can be forgiving even before they ask for forgiveness because love covers a multitude of sins. Do you remember the famous line from Love Story? Love means you never have to say you're sorry. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't apologize to those you love. It means if you're loved, you know you've been forgiven even before you seek it. That's the kind of love we've been given, and that's the kind of love we're expected to give. If we're going to spend eternity together, we better learn how to get along now. And that love can't just be something we talk about at church. It has to be seen in our homes as well. And that's why Peter goes on to say we must keep an open home. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Now, how many of us would have said, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be hospitable to one another without complaint. I really doubt that hospitality would have been on our mind. It was, however, on Peter's. And hospitality was very important in his day. The inns were generally filthy in places of immorality. Both Christians and non-Christians tried to avoid them if they could. And since the early church expected Christ to return at any moment, and they had a great commission to fulfill before his return, there were a lot of evangelists on the road in need of hospitality. But hospitality goes beyond providing a place for someone to stay. It also has to do with keeping your home open as a place of fellowship and outreach. Again, this was vital to the early church because they didn't have church buildings in which to meet. But it's also important for us today because it's in the home that love is best expressed and needs are best met. Our homes should be places where people feel welcome and where the love of Christ is openly expressed. Sadly, loving, close-knit families are becoming a rarity today. And if we have the opportunity to model the kind of family life that honors God and meets spiritual as well as physical needs, we should do so. We should take opportunities to open our home to others. Now, that does not mean that our homes must be open all the time. If our door never closes, our homes cease to be a place of shelter. Edith Schaefer 
in her excellent book, What is a Family?, says a family is an open door with hinges and a lock. We must have time alone with our family, building a home. If we are to have anything to share with others when the door is open. But when the door is open, we should be willing to provide for the needs of others without complaint. Especially in view of the fact that we don't know how much longer we will have to practice hospitality. We don't know how many more opportunities we'll have to show the love of Christ to others in a meaningful and practical way. So we must not batten down the hatches when the end's in sight. We must open our doors and let others come in and anticipate his coming with us. And finally, we must keep on serving. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love the story about the monk who, while hoeing in his garden, was asked what he would do if he knew Jesus was coming back that day. He said, I'd keep on hoeing. That's what Peter is exhorting us to do here. To keep doing what God has called and equipped us to do. And he has equipped all of us for ministry. Peter makes it very clear that each one of us has received a special gift that is to be used in serving one another. Paul taught even more on the presence of spiritual gifts in the church, also making it clear that we've all been given the ability to do something within the body. And Jesus, in the parable of the talents, made it clear that we are going to be held responsible for what we do with what we have been given. As Peter puts it, we've got to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We've got to be good stewards of the abilities and the gifts God has given to us. And I like the way Peter divides the gifts into two categories. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. You know, some have been given the gifts necessary to preach and teach and exhort effectively. Others have been given the gifts necessary to minister to the various emotional and physical needs that exist within the body. Now, we're not going to take time to explore the specific gifts mentioned in the various passages this morning. We've done that before. Besides, no list is comprehensive. They are merely examples of the kinds of gifts that did exist and may still exist in the church. The point Peter is making 
is that we can't let down when the end is in sight. We've got to keep on speaking the utterances of God and serving with the strength God supplies right to the very end. We can't quit before quitting time. And yes, Jesus coming is nearer now than it's ever been. But let's keep on serving till he comes. With a cool head, a warm heart, and an open home. That's the way God is glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you are not ready for his return, acknowledge your faith in him and be made ready. And if you are, make certain you are still doing what he has called and equipped you to do. Because soon and very soon, we're going to see the Lord. Let's stand. Thank you.